I remember learning in Sunday school that the parables of Jesus are these little life lessons. Jesus is rushing around first century Palestine preaching and healing folks and gathering crowds, and every once in a while Jesus stops to teach. And sometimes Jesus tells the crowd a little parable, a little story. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. See how small the seed is. See how big it grows. Or the kingdom of God is like yeast. It gets into a little flour and water and see how it makes the bread rise. Or as in today's text, a sower went out to sow. She scattered a lot of seeds. Some fell on hard ground or in thorns or in bad soil, and those seeds didn't grow. But some seeds fell on good soil and produced abundant crops. So be the mustard seed and grow Be the yeast in the dough and rise. Plant your crops in good soil and reap your harvest. The parables of Jesus are these nice little life lessons. But at the same time, they're really not. There's more to the parables than just that. Parables are tough to figure out and they are meant to be. The word parable actually means to throw alongside. Parables are stories or illustrations that are thrown alongside the world as it is. They don't carry their meaning on the surface. Instead, they insist that we engage with them, that we actively compare the world of the parable with the world of Scripture and with our world. It's like we're unwrapping a story within a story, seeking to find sacred meaning in our world through this ancient narrative lens. And here's another thing about parables that makes them even more challenging. The parables of Jesus are actually, well, they're actually subversive. The parables of Jesus, as William Herzog has written, are subversive speech. When Jesus tells a parable, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is proclaiming nothing less than the overthrow of empire. In these little stories, that is what is going on. Just look at Matthew chapter 13 and its seven parables. They are about the kingdom of heaven or what may be more meaningfully translated today, the empire of heaven. Most of the parables say it explicitly right up front. The empire of heaven is like a mustard seed. The empire of heaven is like yeast. The empire of heaven Jesus is throwing a glimpse of the empire of heaven down alongside the empire that his listeners know, the empire of the world, the empire of Rome. But there can only be one empire. So when Jesus proclaims the empire of heaven, he is proclaiming the empire of heaven instead of and in place of the empire of the world, the empire of Rome. These parables are subversive of empire. Jesus is turning the world upside down. Jesus is critiquing the empire of the world and announcing the empire of heaven. Now, the folks who first heard these parables, they knew what life under the empire of the world looked like and felt like. Their experience of empire was one of military conquest as the imperial army rolled in and established and maintained dominance through violence and force. Most of the people listening to Jesus were peasant farmers who worked the land. 
they experienced empire through government and economic structures that took all the wealth and left them with a bare subsistence living. And they experienced empire through local government and religious structures that legitimized the whole thing. But Jesus throws alongside that a different vision of empire, a new vision, the empire of heaven. It would have been shocking to hear someone, anyone, dare to proclaim any empire other than the one that was prepared to crush them daily. But it was probably just as shocking to hear Jesus basically say this, the empire of heaven is like this. A sower went out to sow. The empire of heaven is like a farmer sowing seeds. To a crowd of peasant farmers, Jesus said, the empire of heaven is like what you do every day. Planting, growing, harvest. That's the vision. Not military power or economic exploitation or political oppression. Jesus grounds this empire of heaven in the agrarian cycle of planting, growing, harvesting, and planting again. No armies, no violence, no exploitation, just this. A sower went out to sow, and she scattered the seed far and wide. Now some seed fell on the road, and it didn't grow at all. Some fell in shallow earth and showed quick growth, but didn't last long. Some fell in among the thorns and got choked, and some fell on good soil, and it grew and bore fruit a hundred times, sixty times, thirty times over. This is what life in the empire of heaven is like. Now, if this is a glimpse of life in the empire of heaven, I want to notice just a few things. It's not determined by power over Life in the empire of heaven, it's not about coercion and dominance. The model for life in the empire of heaven is grounded in the agrarian cycle. It's about planting and nurture and growth and harvest and planting. Again, that's the new paradigm. It is extravagant work, hard work, seed for growing that is cast as broadly and as expansively as possible, and it will encompass the full range of results. Sometimes no results. Sometimes results that are promising but fade. Sometimes results that are attacked. And for work that finds depth of soil, abundant harvest. It is about ultimate abundant harvest that we may not see in immediate results. And one more thing. In this empire of heaven, the work is never done. If the work of the empire of heaven is grounded in the agrarian cycle of planting and harvest, it is always, by its very nature, beginning again. There is always, just around the corner, another season for planting. These parables are subversive. They are about the present and coming reign of God. They are about an end to oppression and violence. And they are about an emerging world of justice and peace. They are prophetic and they are political. And this parable, the parable of the sower, it's also pastoral. Jesus tells this parable just after he has faced some pretty severe opposition. 
He has fed his disciples on the Sabbath. He is healed on the Sabbath. He is driving out demons. The crowds are growing, and so is the opposition to what he is teaching. And so Jesus takes a break to teach. And because the crowds are so large, he gets into a boat and goes just a little way from the shore. And he speaks to them in parables. Jesus speaks to a bewildered crowd and to a beleaguered band of disciples, and he says, this is what life in this new empire of heaven is all about. This is what justice work looks like. This is what liberation work looks like in all of its ups and its downs. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to take this parable and throw it alongside something more recent, a part of our life, and see what we can see. To listen to this ancient parable for meaning in this present moment. It's been about a month now since the Presbyterian Church USA's General Assembly met and acted on a number of important issues, and a lot has happened since then. As many of you know, last month the PCUSA convened its National General Assembly. Every two years, commissioners from regional presbyteries gather from across the country and consider at a national level initiatives that have originated in local congregations. And this year, just last month, the General Assembly decided some long-contested, high-profile issues. Two of those issues were brought by this congregation through our presbytery, along with other presbyteries. The assembly voted to divest from three corporations involved in building illegal settlements on the West Bank, and the assembly voted to recognize pastoral discretion to celebrate the marriages of same-gender couples. Both actions continue to face substantial opposition. If we are to consider this particular moment in our life alongside this parable, this parable with its cycle of planting and harvest, one of the first things to notice is that this moment, our moment, has context. It has history. This congregation has a substantial history of working for justice in Israel-Palestine. It has been hard work and a lived-out commitment, not just words, but action. This commitment has emerged through active engagement and conversation with the people of Israel-Palestine. Each year, through its Keep Hope Alive program, this church sends delegations to plant olive trees in the spring and to harvest in the fall. You actually sow and harvest. Alongside that ministry, this congregation has advocated in the presbyteries and in the national church for justice for Palestinian people. That advocacy has included advocacy for divestment from companies involved in building illegal settlements and for a declaration that the segregation of the Palestinian people constitutes apartheid. And that advocacy has not been easy. I can remember Presbytery meetings in Garberville and I think Novato where the issues were hotly contested, sometimes painfully so, and where this advocacy did not at that time move forward. And then two years ago in 2012, this justice work was endorsed at the presbytery level, but lost by the narrowest of margins at the national level. And then this year, at the General Assembly, the divestment motions passed. But even with that, even with that, the reaction has been swift and fierce, coming at some of the highest levels of power. Even globally, the measures were denounced by the Prime Minister of Israel on Meet the Press. 
I've read the news coverage, as I'm sure some of you have, and the op-ed pieces in opposition, they are riddled with inaccuracies. It has been hard and painful work. Even more hard and more painful is watching the news from Gaza right now as the violence continues there. Even with a step toward divestment, it can feel like, well, it can feel despairing. This congregation has also been deeply involved in work for marriage equality in the church. For years, that struggle has been caught up in the Presbyterian court system as pastors were brought up on charges for celebrating the marriages of same-gender couples. There have been hard defeats when a court of this presbytery voted to censure Reverend Janie Sparr while at the same time proclaiming that her ministry was faithful to the gospel. When the National Presbyterian Court affirmed that decision, But then, just a few months later, at a presbytery meeting in this very sanctuary, our presbytery voted overwhelmingly to reject any rebuke of Janie and instead to celebrate her ministry and to proclaim the gospel as good news for all people. Ups and downs. Each year, for as long as I can remember, and I've known you now almost for 10 years, this congregation has sent overtures to the General Assembly seeking to affirm the full dignity of same-gender couples and our families. Up until this year, those measures were voted down. But this year, the overtures passed with around 70% of the vote, and again, reaction was swift as congregations have continued to threaten to leave the denomination. If we put ourselves at any one point in either of these struggles, there are two temptations. At the most painful and frustrating points, there is the temptation to despair when the crops don't grow, or when they seem to get choked out, when opposition is fierce, we can feel that all is lost or that our hope may actually be beyond reach. And at those points that feel like progress, there's the temptation to frame those moments in terms of winning and losing, to think in the way that the world thinks, I win, you lose to replicate the existing ways that we exercise power over one another, but those don't work and they never have. This parable of the sower gives us a broader range of vision. This parable grounds us in the empire of heaven. To those who first heard this parable and to those who have sought to follow Jesus ever since, it says, you are engaged in work that is part of a cycle. A cycle of planting and growing and harvesting and planting again. And this is part of it. There will be days when it feels like there is no progress. There will be others still where it feels like your deepest longing in this work is being choked out by the thorns, but continue to work. Continue to dig your hands down lovingly into depth of soil. Continue to scatter seed with abandon. Continue to nurture and tend what you are growing. Because this work, this work is about planting and growing nothing less than an entirely new world. 
a new world where the love of Christ is made manifest, a world powered not by exploitation and oppression and violence, but a world powered by steadfast planting and growing and harvest and planting again, powered by tender, steadfast care, powered by love. And here's what I think is most subversive in this parable. If you've got it handy, pull your bulletin out and take a look at the photo on the front. Jesus sits in his boat just a little ways off the shore and he says, a sower went out to sow. To the crowd on the shore, to the crowd of peasant farmers, Jesus says the empire of heaven looks like someone planting and growing and harvesting. He says to them, the empire of heaven looks like what you do every day. Jesus says to them and to us, the work of the empire of heaven is in your hands in your weary, calloused, soil-soaked, life-worn hands, in your hands, that is where the empire of heaven, the reign of Christ, is coming to life for the blessing of the world. Ultimately, this new world is not powered by emperors or kings or armies or corporations. Ultimately, it is powered by God and it depends on your willingness to work in depth of soil, upon our willingness and our courage and our tenacity to plant and to cultivate and to harvest and to plant again, our willingness to join in God's hard work of building a new world of justice, freedom, and peace. A sower went out to sow, and she scattered her seed over the earth extravagantly. And though some fell on hard places and some fell among thorns, still other seed fell in depth of soil, and it grew. And she tended it, and the seed bore fruit some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. And in the spring, she planted again. 